It became very clear during especially the COVID-19 pandemic what unites these far-right and, and white supremacist movements around the globe. So they weaponized the pandemic in order to recycle old conspiracy theories, such as, for example, the New World Order, global Zionism, and then the Great Replacement. Hello and welcome to The Inoculation. My name is Eva von Schaper. And I am Daiva Repechkaite. Hi Daiva, what, what are we going to talk about today? Today we're discussing conspiracies about 15-minute cities. And, and why, is this, why is this even part of a conspiracy theory? I know this was your idea and you sent it to me uh, last week. And at first I was a bit confused because it seems like such a wacko topic. A couple of crazies, you know, going out on the street for I don't even know what. So why are we looking at this, Daiva? 15-minute cities seems like a very nice and cozy idea. And I live in a neighborhood in Florence, which is kind of very close to that ideal. So you can find pretty much all you need. A clinic, some doctors, um, different shops, local and larger uh, chain stores. You can find uh, even a yoga studio, different sporting facilities. You can uh, find a river and go jogging and so on. So, so basically you're saying the idea of a 15-minute city is cities in which you can find everything that you need within a 15-minute walk, I guess? Or is it a 15-minute car ride? Yes. The idea is that you should reach it within a 15-minute walk or bike ride. So you don't have to own any larger vehicle than that. Okay. So actually that seems like a, actually something that's quite nice and quite modern. Interestingly, I kind of grew up in a Soviet neighborhood like that, which had uh, uh, kindergartens and schools. And there was never a question of, uh, you know, parents taking us to school by car because we could just walk there, meet our friends. Right, David, this is so interesting. In my imagination, a Soviet neighborhood is like 20 high-rise blocks. <laughs> and basically nothing else but that's not what you're that's not how you grew up no so yes there there were high-rise blocks but they were also kind of interspersed with green spaces so we used to go there and play and, and especially in winter um, cross-country skiing and so on and the schools were nearby and but uh, obviously this, this was a kind of residential neighborhood, so there were very few enterprises or there were no factories. So the adults or the parents would still need to commute somewhere to work. But then all the facilities for the family were within reach and definitely within a, a walking distance. Mm -hmm. So actually, this is also something that is um, very far away from something that's like the an American ideal of a suburb where people just go and go to sleep. You have, you know, maybe 100, 200 like tract houses that look the same uh, where you actually need a car to go shopping 
or you need the kids need to take a school bus or they can't go to school by bike. Exactly. And also this is the opposite of what cities like Los Angeles look like with the strict zoning regulations where you can only have industry in one area of the city, only residential buildings in another area and so on. Okay, so basically what also how I live right now, uh, I could I could walk and go shopping and there's a lot of smaller shops where I live. Uh, my kids can walk to school. So um, actually more of a European concept than an American one. That's right. The interesting thing is, I think, and I just found this while um, I was doing some research for the show, is that a lot of big cities are going back and adopting this idea. Like, I think Paris or Portland, Portland, Oregon, tried to establish neighborhoods or cities based on the on the 15-minute city rule. So why are we coming back to this now? Do we know? Is it, it's a question of being, you know, being more ecological, having fewer cars in cities, or what is, what is the long-term goal? Is it just quality of living? So, yes, exactly. The 15-minute city idea is adopted around the world and by different political ideologies. So uh, the... Uh, social democratic mayor of Paris, Annie Hidalgo, was uh, famous for, for proposing this idea, but also the very neoliberal mayor of Vilnius. This uh, idea was gaining traction around, in, in different cities. And then suddenly this year, it became a target of conspiracy theorists. And I found out about it when an acquaintance in Malta invited me to a closed Facebook group which was about opposing 15-minute cities. Okay. And I was curious, why would you not like 15-minute cities? Malta, Malta is such a small island, but it's just so badly planned that you actually need the car to go to so many places from um, most parts of the island. So I was very curious to know why people have problems with that idea. Why are we also looking at something that seems like so a protest against something that seems like such a small niche problem? So you could just why is this not just a couple of crazy people having a crazy idea um, and meeting in Facebook groups? Why is this important for what we're doing? Why is this important for for looking at how the far right and the far left how they radicalize and how they use conspiracy theories. It is important because it plugs into all the different kinds of conspiracies. And we began this episode with a quote from Esther Senesh, who researches conspiracy theories, focusing on the far right. And when we talked to her, she mentioned this idea that conspiracy movements unearth these very old uh, New World Order conspiracies and just plug in whatever comes along. So whatever policy comes along, any policy issue, especially after COVID, when people sort of plugged into these networks, can be taken up and embedded in this conspiracy that everything, every change is being done for the sake of population control. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that we've also heard again and again, and that I've read about again and again, is that it is actually the character of conspiracy theories and is that there always there are no really new conspiracy theories. They're always being remixed, and it's always like one is always being added to the other. 
and this is just and the COVID or COVID deniers. This is just one of the newer conspiracy theories that's now being remixed with older conspiracy. Exactly. So that group that this acquaintance in Malta showed me is still about one third about vaccination. It's not only about cities. So they do mix conspiracy theories. They insert a bit of the familiar for the people, a bit of the new, a bit of the global, a bit of the local. And this is how they spread their conspiracies. So one of the reasons we're looking at this is because it's going to show us how conspiracy theories um, basically are made, how they're, how, how they're created and how they're spread. And this is something I think we saw with the Reichsburger who, you know, were made up of several different German groups um, who, in the end, were trying to over, overthrow the government. And I think, it's, I think it's very easy to laugh about these people and call them delusional, um, but this is, this is a, a danger to our democracy and um, to democracies around the world. Do you agree? Totally. And it's not only online that these people are organizing. The most known case that was all over the media recently was that this conspiracy found its offline, very uh, physically present base in Oxford in the UK. Various activists protested uh, the idea of the city council to introduce traffic limitations. So somehow uh, they decided that this is linked to the Walkable Cities initiative, although it wasn't explicitly linked. And they said that this is being used to confine people to strictly fenced neighborhoods. And somewhere drawing on these images from China that there are strict lockdowns and people cannot go where they please. They were saying that essentially bureaucrats want to control where and how you can move with your car or ban cars altogether. Some people got really agitated and ended up being arrested at this Oxford protest. So really what this anti-15 minute city protest in Oxford was about was there was a was there seriously a question that people believed that there was going to be a lockdown in cities? The idea was that traffic would be limited in some areas of the city. This has, had nothing to do with lockdowns. Okay, but this was then taken by a number of groups, including the anti-bike movement, QAnon, um, to mean that the local government was planning to keep people in their houses. as. We've seen in China, maybe in the news, um, over the past one or two years. So this is actually uh, actually surprising. So it's interesting that this spread in an academic city in the UK, and and academic uh, cities like Oxford and Cambridge are known for the so-called the gown versus the town uh, conflict. So many people are annoyed by more affluent residents coming to study at these elite institutions and there is a kind of anti-elitarian streak embedded in these tensions locally. But then, as we've seen in the news, this very local issue in Oxford was picked up by known personalities around the world. A lot of people within the fossil fuel industry have been trying to whip up anger against climate action by calling it climate tyranny. But this, is, this hasn't gained any traction. 
And then this met the idea that there, I guess there was a series of articles that um, claim that rebuilding a post-COVID world should be focused on cutting pollution. And so this all moved into a narrative saying that governments wanted to limit freedom in the name of climate action. And then I think the third element was the World Economic Forum's Great Reset Initiative. So the Great Reset actually is an economic recovery plan that was drawn up by the World Economic Forum as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The aim is to just rebuild from the pandemic in a way in a way that is sustainable and that prioritizes sustainable development. Because there was a lot of criticism that the COVID-19 pandemic made governments slow down their commitments to climate action and that there was a return of single-use plastic and a lot of bans were rolled back. So uh, reacting to this pressure, I guess, or to the ideas um, common at the time, the World Economic Forum proposed this, this idea that we can rebuild the economy in a better shape. And this is also reflected in the EU's in the European Union's recovery and resilience facility. That the idea is to rebuild, to regain the lost economic development, but also add the green element into it and rebuild in a more sustainable way. Exactly. And, and this was then the term of a climate lockdown started appearing. And, um, you know, this was used by right-wing think tanks and climate skeptics And from there, you know, it just moved down the food chain to more extreme conspiracy communities, including QAnon-affiliated groups, anti-vaxxers. But also, it got pretty mainstream in the UK when a conservative politician raised this point in, in the British Parliament, calling the 15-minute cities idea, and I quote, an international socialist concept. <laughs> okay, and of course, we also had... Jordan Peterson, who's, you know, psychologist, climate skeptic, he tweeted that the idea that neighborhoods should be walkable is lovely. The idea that idiot, tyrannical bureaucrats can decide by fiat where you're allowed to drive is perhaps the worst imaginable perversion of that idea. This is being picked up. And then it comes down to a point that something that's happening online then spills into the real world, which happened in Oxford. And there have also been reports that proponents of the 15-minute city idea have received death threats online. Is, is there legitimate criticism of the 15-minute city? I think yes, there can be legitimate criticism and there are many technicalities that can go wrong and impose inconveniences to people, especially who are maybe living outside of uh, livable and walkable city centers because they can't afford otherwise and they still need to move and come to these to these central places and park their cars because there's no convenient public transport otherwise a lot of the upper middle class can afford to live in the city center and cycle or use their e-scooters but then traffic from the outskirts of the city is much more uh, complicated and it becomes a class issue that way. And the infrastructure that, we're, that we were talking about, so 
you know, clinics, shops, and especially entertainment centers will not appear overnight. So people will need to come to the center. It might happen that the least earning residents will be priced out by these measures. Mm -hmm. So there is legitimate criticism, but in no way are there plans for people to be locked into these 15-minute cities or the government to control their movement. Exactly. It takes a bit of um, rich imagination to make this link from the idea that you can find a kindergarten and school and uh, all kinds of facilities in your neighborhood to being forced to only uh, stay in this neighborhood. Okay, so basically to wrap it up, the 15-minute theory is a conspiracy theory that was born out of a number of factually incorrect uh, ideas and conspiracies swirling around online. And then it, it erupted in protests in Oxford. The important thing is to see that this is an example of how conspiracy theories are created online and how then they move into the real world. So the question is not really, we don't want to be, we don't want to laugh at these people, or we don't want to, um, you know, make fun, of them, make fun of them and say, oh, look at how deluded they are. But really, look, this is how these things happen. And this could, if this happens on a much larger scale, this is definitely something that looks like that is, that can destabilize democracies and governments. Yes. And so things that start on TikTok or from uh, Twitter hashtags then turn into death threats against proponents of this idea and eventually turn into electoral issues, electoral matters locally. Thank you for listening this week, and um, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also find us individually on Mastodon. And please do visit our website, www.theinoculation.com, where you will find transcripts, all the past episodes, and more information about our reporting. That's it this week, and bye for now. Thank you, and bye for now.